Well, hey everyone, this is Athena and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. Welcome to our podcast today, All Things, based on Romans 8.28, and I am here today with the amazing Pam Farrell to kick off our time together, and then during the second half of the show, I'm going to introduce you to Denise Broadwater. So Pam, before I give you a proper introduction, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Oh, it's always so fun to talk with you. It's like always visiting with a good friend over coffee, and we can't do that very much right now, so I'm really (laughs) looking forward to this. Amen. Me too. Well, just um, for those who have never met Pam before and don't know about her, she is an international speaker author of over 50 plus books, including the best-selling Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti, which she co-authored with her husband, Bill, and Amazon best-selling Discovering Hope in the Psalms, Discovering Joy in Philippians, and Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament, which was co-authored by Jean E. Jones and artist Carla Dornacher. Bill and Pam co-direct Love Wise Ministries, And just to give you a little bit of insight into Pam, her first job was picking dirt clods out of potatoes on a potato combine at age 14. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, like 14 hour days too, super long. Everybody, I lived in Idaho, everybody picked potatoes and in some form. So don't be jealous that that was not your first job. (laughs) (laughs) Head to toe dirt every night. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And her first pet project was raising a lamb for 4-H, like a real Bo Peep. I love that. (laughs) Her name was Bunny. uh, Say that again. Her name was Bunny. Her name was Bunny. So original. I love that. And her first real love, she married Bill at age 20. Her first hurdle as a newlywed, their car broke down, so they rode bikes for the first year of marriage while they saved and believed God to provide a car while they were in college. That is so good. What a great story. It's so fun. Our youth group, like we were youth pastors, and so our youth group gave us a bumper sticker by faith that says, I believe in miracles. And um, they had to wait nine months for God to provide that miracle, which ended up being a grandmother like passing away in her 90s and the family is a youth group family they're like if you have 67 dollars, this needs new brakes and the car is yours for free so like a hundred oh. kids gathered around and put that bumper sticker on that green chevy 
I love that. And, and that you were all believing for a miracle and God said, I'm going to show you what I can do. I love that. Okay. First self shocker. When Pam was taking Taekwondo with her shy son, she split a board with one kick. Woo. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) And her first big wow. The first time she did an aerial cartwheel. So that means no hands. And, a, and her first backflip with no hands. I cannot even wrap my head around that, girl. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. My, my son, I taught my son when he was about 10 to do a backflip on the trampoline. And he said, mom, you're like so cool. You're like the coolest mom. Nobody else's mom can do a backflip. And I said, so as long as I can do a backflip, then I'm still cool. He's like, yeah. And so every year when I'm with that son, Zach, Somehow, some way, I do a backflip, either on trampoline, off of a, you know, a, a diving board. Last year, it was off of the top deck of a boat. So oh I'm still cool my. as of right now. <laughs> the cool mom that does backflips. I love that. So the first time she impressed, oh, well, you just told, I was going to say the first time oh, you impressed that. one of your sons was with that backflip on the trampoline. So we'll move on to the last one. The first time she impressed her grandkids she do, did a backflip every year on that trampoline and last summer at age 60 off a two-story boat deck. Yep. yep. You rock it, girl. <laughs> I have videos to prove. I did a trampoline, uh, a backflip at a trampoline park with, with my grandkids. And so we were all jumping on the trampoline. We have a video that, of me doing that one and a video because I knew I needed proof. People wouldn't just believe that I did a backflip off of a second. Yeah. Of boat. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we're going to segue right into your Romans 828 story because we're going to talk about discovering hope in the Psalms a little bit later, but I would love to, our listeners to hear your Romans 828 story, and I'm sure you have a gazillion of them. So just pick one and share it with us. So I'll start with my original Romans 828 story because it's really my faith story. And then um, when we talk about hope and joy, there'll be a couple that come up during those. Great. My original God Works All Things Together for Good um, really is, um, I'm the firstborn daughter of an alcoholic dad with severe rage issues. Like I always thought our family would make the headlines, but not for a good reason. More like man shoots family than shoots himself. A lot of domestic violence mm. in our home. Um, and like my mom used to take me as a baby on her hip down to the bar to drag my dad home every night. And um, so I was born into a home that was very chaotic and very volatile but um, my mom had lots of spiritual questions and her best friend, Kathy, um, answered those questions always from the Bible. And so one day, Kathy said, Afton, you should just come to church with me and bring the kids. And I was probably six or seven at that time. And so my mom did. She said yes to Jesus. And um, so I went to this church and there I met wonderful people like you, like your audience members, people Mm. that love Jesus. And so they just radiated love. And I'm like, oh, this is what love looks like. I want to know the author of love. I want to know Jesus. 
And so one night that the pastor um, said, if you want to place on quiz team, it, you can memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we'll give you a place on quiz team. And if you memorize verses from Sunday school, we'll let you choose little prizes from this little treasure chest. And so I memorized um, Psalms 23, and um, they gave me this little cross, and it glowed in the dark. I'm like, cool. <laughs> so I put it on the bulletin board. And then um, I began to memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7, because like in a town of 100 people, quiz team is kind of like American Idol, you know, so I wanted to play some quiz team. And so I'm coming across this verse um, that says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. And I'm like, oh, does this mean if I ask you to come into my life, that you would be my best friend, my savior and my Lord Jesus? And just then my dad had been drinking like all day, all night. He was like in a rage, like he did every day. My sweet mom trying to talk him down. And um, I was afraid for me and my siblings. And so I ran to the um, next room to my brother's room and grabbed my little brother and sister and brought them into my room and I tucked them into bed. And then I pushed the dresser in front of the door. I'm not even eight years old at this point. Mm. A full four Chester drawer in front of the door so dad can't hurt us. And I turn off the light and I jump into bed with them. And there glowing in the dark is that little cross. And on it, it reads, he lives, Jesus lives. Mm. And I remember praying that night, Jesus, the pastor's been telling me you're stronger than anything, more powerful than anything, more powerful than death itself. And if you're all those things, and I believe that you are, please come into my life, be my best friend, my savior, and my Lord. And um, P.S. God, if you could work it out, I'd really love to marry a pastor one day. Amen. And you know what? My dad kept drinking, but God kept ministering to me and I kept being in the word. Um, my little friend Kelly said, do you know what a quiet time is? Did you have a quiet time? I'm like, what's that? She's like, well, God wrote us a, a love letter. It's called the Bible. And that's how he talks to us. And we talk to him by praying. It's just like talking to a friend, like when you and I walk to school together. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I just did it. I just mm. kept reading the Bible. And so even though my house got crazier and crazier, I got closer and closer to Jesus. And sure enough, when I went to college, was in a ministry called Crew, it's called Crew now. And uh, I met a handsome guy at a leadership conference that had this big old full head of curly hair and a big old smile and a Bible um, on the front that uh, had been recovered because he'd read it so many times and on it, it said that I may know him. Mm. And I'm like, this is my kind of guy. And so I really believe that my biggest eight twenty eight that God works all things together for good is he'll go after you. I, you know, just like that, that reckless love song, he leaves the, the 99 to go after the one, you know, and um, he goes after us in the midst of our misery and our chaos and our craziness. And we've gone on to have a healthy, happy marriage for 40 years. And our kids all love and serve Jesus, which is kind of a miracle now. Mm -hmm. So yes, we broke is. the chain. Yeah. Wow. wow. And to see all that good come out of all that trauma and that yeah. dysfunction and that pain. Wow. Yeah. My little granddaughter, we, we were, it was Zach's wedding day. 
And um, we were driving to his wedding, my mom and I, in the car. And um, when my dad was at his worst, he tried to commit suicide one night. And the three of us kids ran into the garage, pulled him down, and brought him into the, so to the sofa. And I knelt on my dad's chest and I took the noose off my dad's neck. Mm. And I began to sing Amazing Grace. We all started singing Amazing Grace. And so Amazing Grace literally saved my dad's life. And so my mom and I, you know, this is decades later. My mom's a strong believer. We're driving to the wedding and on comes Amazing Grace. You know, my chains are gone. I've been mm -hmm. set free. Um, and we're just weeping. I had to pull over. We were crying so hard, happy tears because our family had been redeemed and rescued. And we walked into the church and my little four-year-old um, granddaughter said, Nana, Nana, for my birthday this year, I'm going to have a praise party and um, the praise team's going to come and we're going to sing praises to Jesus. Like, I love that song um, that Tasha Cobb sings. She says, breaking the chains, breaking the chains. And I'm like, that's right, baby girl. God has broken the chains of dysfunction and made us functional and happy and healthy. And we all love Jesus, don't we, sweetie? Um, and such a precious memory of God really going the distance now on the third generation, redeeming and restoring. Wow. That's powerful. And that's just, that's who our God is. It's like, he loves to do that. And he loves to show up and show off and just yep. make exactly. things amazing out of real trial. Wow. Okay. So we're going to like shift gears here. And we're going to talk a little bit about discovering hope in the, in the Psalms and discovering joy in Philippians. If, we, if you want to kind of, we can go back and forth with that. Um, so those are both a creative Bible study experience. Right. And they are unique Bible studies. So tell us what makes them so different. Yeah. Why are they so unique? Well, um, they kind of, the, the story of hope um, that goes along with, Discovering Hope in the Psalms is another 828 story, I tell you. Um, so Bill and I, um, we, Bill was driving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to um, take care of his parents. At the time, they were like 88. And he was staying longer and longer and um, helping them more and more. And I'm trying to hold up, you know, Lovewise Ministry. And he's exhausted. I'm exhausted. And my friend Jean writes me and says, hey, I just wrote this Bible study called Discovering Hope in the Psalms. And I taught it a couple of times. And it's really resonating with people. Could I pay you to edit it? And if you like it, could you write a cover letter and send it to your publishers to see if they would be interested? And so I said, well, the best way to edit this thing is to actually do it because it's a Bible study. And so, yes, I did the whole writing, editing, you know, after 50 books, I do know how to edit a bit. So, um, so I did that, but I did the Bible study. I loved it. I'm like, this is amazing. It's like a deep dive, like Beth Moore, Kay Arthur, wonderful, rich Priscilla Shire kind of, you know, Bible study. And, um, and it had these creative elements in it. And um, she had, had us write a Psalm, um, after teaching us about a Psalm. And so we personalize, let's say Psalm 1, Psalms 23, and you make it your own. 
and I love that. And, mm-hmm. and I thought, I, I did Bible art journaling. And so I love Bible art. And I thought, oh, Bible coloring pages are really hot, hot right now. I do Bible art. It'd be nice if there was a creative element to this. And um, so I love the Bible study and I send it with a cover letter. And um, the publisher came back and said, oh, we love this Bible study. Um, but she's a new author. You're the one with the platform, Pam. Would she be open for you co-authoring in some form? And so I said, it's, it's, Jean's, it's Jean's Bible study. I asked Jean. And she's like, yes, yes. And I said, you know, she's like, whatever we get out there so women have hope. And I said, sweetie, I really think that we should think about asking my friend Carla, who's an amazing award-winning mm-hmm. artist, if she will do some coloring pages for this Bible study so that it's beautiful as well as deep and rich. And so I, uh, she's like, that sounds great. And so I took all those ideas back to my publisher and they said, that sounds fabulous. And so the three of us team together, I write the devotionals, Carla does a creative corner. So she actually teaches you some Bible art techniques and how to be creative in every Bible study. Um, there's also discovering Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, and next year we'll be discovering uh, good news in John. So she teaches a little bit more and more art and creativity in every Bible study. So each part's unique. And but these beautiful coloring pages that have um, the main verse um, that you can memorize and bookmarks that you can use to put your Bible in. And so it's deep and rich, but it's also very fun. It's a right brain, left brain Bible. Mm, I love that. And it's from what I've seen, I saw them when you had them at Asa this yeah. year and it was beautiful and just, yeah, it gives you that creative piece that really makes it come alive. I love that. It, it, it makes the word go deeper. Um, into your heart and life too. And little did I know that, um, you know, when you color, for example, um, you cannot concentrate on your problems at the same time you're creating, like your brain won't let you. So it's a really great stress reliever, even right now as things are so mm-hmm. uncertain and chaotic, to, um, to, to color, to do Bible art, to do to painting. Anything that's going to use that creative side, it's just going to give you a little break from the insanity and uncertainty of our times. Um, And also helps you memorize as you are coloring, you know, it helps you memorize whatever that verse is. Right. I had no idea that doing that, being part of that creative process of coloring and, and, uh, you know, doing some sort of artwork like that, that your brain is not, cannot worry and think about the future it's you're just engaged in that moment then right yes isn't it nice of god to create us that way i'm just like thank you god you know the first few words of the bible in the beginning god created and so we're most like god when we are creative too wow amen so the discovering the bible series was the discovering hope in the psalms the first in that series? Or it no? was the very first one in the series. Okay. And, and God is so sweet to um, have me edit Discovering Hope in the Psalms and then do Discovering Hope in the Psalms and then teach Discovering Hope in the Psalms during probably one of the most stressful seasons, you know, because Bill was driving back and forth and back and forth across Los Angeles mm. back when there was traffic and it took like six hours each direction from our home in San Diego. 
And one night he came home and um, he'd been gone several days, you know, caring, caring for his aging parents. And he just looked like death warmed over. It was well past midnight. And I said, oh, honey, keeping your parents alive, it looks like it's killing you. We need to move. And he came back a few days later. He's like, yeah, I think we do need to move, Pam. And, um, and, and I think we need to put the house on the market. And, and so I was going through some grief, you know, a literal, I, I raised my kids there. We lived 25 years there, had a great supportive system um, in San Diego, all my friends. Um, I was going to be selling a house. We were going to downsize. He, he came back even and he says, okay, I know this is a big ask. And it is because um, my mother-in-law is agoraphobic and a hoarder and a not a happy camper. So she's mm-hmm. very volatile. Mm-hmm. And my father-in-law is very um, complacent. So one, and but very frail. So one's frail of body, one's frail of mind. Mm-hmm. So it's not an easy thing, you know, mm-hmm. that he, Bill was asking. So he came back and he's like, okay, I've been praying about this and we're going to downsize anyway. Um, so what if we really downsized fam? What if we moved onto a boat? I mean, you love the water. I'm like, you're right. I do love the water. I'm like half mermaid. I love kayaking and paddleboarding and love the ocean. And he's like, what if we lived on a liveaboard boat? And I said, yeah, I'm half mermaid. It sounds like, let's do it. Sure. Why not? And so, um, that brought a little bit of joy and hope to a really hard situation. It took us a year to sell our home and things were getting really, really desperate. And it was during that time that um, I was preparing to send in the manuscript. And I'm like, you know, I just really need an an easy working definition of hope for people. And um, the key verse um, is out of Psalm 71, 14. I will hope continually, I will praise you yet more and more. And I'm like, okay, I hope continually. Continually means always, forever, over and over again, exceedingly. It's kind of like a picture of a hope geyser, like uh, mm. Old Faithful. And so I, I drew a picture of this girl standing in front of, of, of a geyser of hope that was in my Bible. And then I'm like, okay, how do you do that? If we're supposed to hope that much, how do we do it? And God is so sweet. He oftentimes gives the answer in the same verse. And it says, I will praise you yet more and more. So as I lift up my gratitude and praises to God, um, the more and more means accumulate praise. And so just like we would go through a garden and accumulate different flowers and make a beautiful bouquet, or just like we might at Christmas time, go through the mall and accumulate shopping bags. God wants us to accumulate praise Mm. and that will help us hope more and more and um so I thought okay so after reading every verse in the bible about hope and looking at their original languages my working definition is hope is waiting expectantly for God to show up and show off for your good and for his glory Mm. And that's so much like your like tagline. I mean, you've already said it twice. Yep. God shows up and shows off. And that, that's exactly what hope is. Yeah. Wow. I love that. So, okay. So there's a Romans 828 connected to this particular book, Discovering Hope in the Psalms. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah. Okay. So it goes back to my favorite verse in the um, Discovering Hope in the Psalms Bible study. And it's work that sometimes is hard for people to wrap their head around. And um, it's, it's out of uh, Psalms uh, 42 and 43. And the, there's a set of verses that repeat four or five times in this. And it says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And so downcast means depressed, discouraged, despondent. I mean, you're just like really down. And um, then why are you in turmoil? That word turmoil means an inner roar or those nagging thoughts, like when you're trying to go to sleep, but you're like so worried that your thoughts are keeping you up. That's the picture there. And so, um, you know, again, God is so good. He gives the answer to what happens when you're that depressed and that much term, inner turmoil. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. And if you look right above that, there's this little section, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. By day, okay, so that part, I'll explain that part first. So the picture of um, deep calls to deep is all the water in all the earth, over the earth, under the earth, it's like the water cycle. And what the word picture there is, if you pictured all the water, of all the earth coming at you and how frightening that would be. Basically the Psalms, Psalm is saying it could be worse. Mm. You're feeling like um, it's the roar of the breakers and the waves. It could be all of the water. So it's kind of a funny little twist there. And then at the roar of your waterfalls, this is actually written in, in Getty where David was fleeing for his life. And so the roar of your waterfalls, if you are under like Niagara uh, kind of waterfall, it's just torrential, you're going to be feeling like, I can't breathe. I'm going to die here. It's like, I cannot breathe. I can't get a breath here. And a lot of times that's what the horrors of life and the frustrations of life and the, uh, you know, unwelcome, unwanted, unplanned, just feels like this horrible waterfall and we can't even get a breath. And um, so if you apply that, I will again praise him, then it moves you out from underneath the pounding waterfall to like the edge of a waterfall, which would be kind of like um, a Roman waterfall. When you go to the spa, a lot of spas have like this really nice shower that you sit under and it kind of beats across your shoulders. It's like a massage. It's so relaxing. Mm. And if you keep moving a little bit, you know, with by praising God, it moves you and it moves your heart. Then it's more like that mist from a waterfall on a hot summer day and that really precious mist. And um, how do you get there? Well, the verse says, um, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So during the day, you like, turn on praise music and you focus, focus on God's steadfast love and you put verses up and um, you just surround yourself with God's steadfast love. Um, and then at night, uh, it's a song. So I go to sleep. I want to wake up with more joy. I go to sleep with the Psalms playing. I go to sleep with praise music playing, uh, praise music playing. And I actually will wake up with more hope and joy the next day. And the fun Romans 8, 28, like little bow to all of this is 
okay, we like went through this horrible time. It took forever to sell that house. It was on and off the market. We had to keep re redo, redo, redo. Um, finally, like we were like desperate. Like if we don't sell this, we might lose this thing. I mean, our stress is going up, our bank account's going down. And um, one weekend we just prayed. Um, okay, Lord, that you know, we're gonna lower the prices a little bit more and we just need you to do a miracle. Um, because Bill's still driving back and forth and he's still doing that. And so it's been now a couple years in total. And on that weekend, we we had five offers, four were from clergy couples, and one of them was a church planter, right? A church planter. And during that week, um, so so the church planter said, um, yeah, Pam and Bill, we really have to move right away because um, we're living with my in-laws and um, my mother-in-law came down with cancer and we have four little boys. We have to get those germs out of her house. And um, we're like, fine, you move upstairs, we'll move downstairs and we'll finish the deal that way. And so they did. So that was a blessing to have mm. all that help. And then um, he, he told us the story about standing in my office praying with his family and um he said yeah we're standing there holding hands and as we're praying the holy spirit whispered eric i saved this house for you and bill and i responded yes he did <laughs> he did one of my friends that week had posted one of her bible art um pictures and it, it's the verse in the old testament said you've stayed on this mountain long enough and i'm like our house was on a mountain i'm like yes we have lord i just stand on that promise so oh. yes we sold it we sold it to a church planter it's perfect for them especially oh. right now because we had a, a, a three thousand square foot house a thousand square foot office a thousand square foot building that was a um a, a studio was a part of it because we do videos as part of our love wise ministry well they converted that studio and right now they have to do church virtually right and so we began the work and they're finishing the work oh, i love that that is so what a what a perfect romans eight twenty eight story and i'm sure there was a lot of refining going on in, oh, yeah. while you were waiting <laughs> Oh yeah, I pretty much, we had our face in the Psalms as we laid on the carpet of our office every day, just like, oh Lord, you must move for us because it was something we couldn't do, only God could do. Right, and he did it in such a cool way. I just love that about him. Yeah, the story's oh. not about us, it's about what he can do through us. Exactly, okay. So as we wrap this up, I would love for you to just share with our listeners a few tips or tools that help you and that would help them remember that God really is going to work all things together for good, even when you can't see it. Yes, yes. And so, okay, so I'll give you a couple of tips from Discovering Joy in Philippians. Great. And um, so, Joy. Discovering Joy in Philippians, that was being written while we were looking for that live aboard boat. And so we're again leaning in, looking for God to give the answer. So I'm studying all about joy and really in, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. To rejoice is a choice. 
And that word rejoice is kaira, and it's in the New Testament more than 74 times. So it's like really important uh, to God that we learn how to rejoice because um, he repeats himself. And that it, word could mean glad, rejoicing, exceedingly happy, well, thrive. It was a greeting, um, to be well off, to be cheerful, uh, to be uh, jubilant, uh, to lean into God's grace. But my favorite is calm delight. And let me tell you why it's my favorite. Because when you um, are stressed out, it gives you something to do. Like if you, like I'm dealing with my, my mother-in-law who's a hoarder and she's like freaking out because she freaks out easily. Um, so I, I will then stop and I'll pray. God, show me what would calm this situation right now. Show me what would calm my mother-in-law right now. Show me what would calm me down <laughs> right now. God, show me uh, something delightful that I could bring into this room, bring into this situation. God, show me a delightful distraction that I can do, that she could do. And so it's a simple prayer. Whenever you're stressed out, okay, God, show me what would calm me, what would calm the situation. Show me what would delight, bring delight to the situation, what would be a delightful distraction. And um, so that has been my goal, is helping women cultivate joy in their life. And there's two resources that are on my LoveWise website. And um, you just go to love-wise.com and there's two resources. And one is a joy blossom and it, it goes along with the theme of coloring and the people that have PTSD and pretty much everybody right now in the world could put themselves there because yep. yeah, we've never dealt with anything like this before. And so um, it's this beautiful blossom and you write down something that's given you joy on every leaf, on every petal. Mm. Um, because they found out if they work with people that have PTSD, it's like everything goes gray and kind of black and white. But if they teach them to recall what has given them joy in the past and then schedule those things into their calendar so that every day there's something joyful to look forward to, it helps revive them and restore them. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And um, then there's also a 30-day infectious joy ebook that I wrote when the COVID virus broke out. Just 30 verses and 30 um, days that you can process creatively these verses so you can have that calm delight come into your quiet time too. I love that. Giving that, if they're doing those, they're coloring it, they're doing the creative thing, they can't be thinking about what they're worried about. Right. <laughs> Very good. I love that. Okay. So it has been such a delight to have you on today and to have this conversation. I just, you know, I didn't have my coffee or tea in front of me to have with you, but I felt like <laughs> I did. So, <Yay! laughs> so tell our listeners where we can, what's the best way to connect with you online? I would love for them to um, hop on to love love wise and we like to say we park ourselves at the intersection of god's love and god's wisdom my mm. husband and i do ministry together we each minister he does to men i do to women and then we do marriage and family events together and we're doing a lot online right now so there's a lot of freebie stuff so if they just get connected to us they just go to love-wise.com 
Okay. Click subscribe. There's all kinds of uh, options for you there and a lot of freebies and just download some joy to your house and your home. Wonderful. Well, my friend, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And I look forward to uh, seeing you on another event. Um, writing event coming up that I get to hang out with you, uh, at least virtually. Yes, that will be good. All right. Wonderful. I just spent three days with 400 plus women from across North America who all feel called to write for the King. And can I just tell you, God did immeasurably more than we could have ever asked or imagined. I am overwhelmed at how God showed up and answered the cries of so many hearts, inspiring, equipping, and motivating women to share their redemption stories. Some called it an intersection of women's retreat and writer's conference without the pressure of preparing a pitch for agents or editors. I love that description. If you missed the conference, you can still join after the fact to view all of the teachings five keynotes, two panels, and eight breakout segments, and connect with others in the private Facebook community. Go to SheWritesForHimConference.com and get in on the incredible teaching and inspiration. Well, welcome back to the All Things Podcast for the second half of our show today. I have with me Redemption Press author, Denise Broadwater, author of A House with Holes. So Denise, welcome to the All Things Podcast. It's so exciting to be here today. Yeah. How are you, Athena? I am doing great. And you know, before we jump in, I want to give a proper introduction so those listeners who are tuned in right now can, can just get to know you a little bit better. So Denise Broadwater has had several careers in her life, including stay-at-home mom to three amazing children, an elementary teacher in private schools. When her children entered high school age, she decided to return to graduate school and found her life's calling as a professional counselor. She began her counseling career doing family therapy for an agency working with at-risk youth and after moving to Charleston, South Carolina, she began seeing couples and clients privately treating all manner of life transitions and marital issues. So she considers herself a keeper of stories and reluctantly decided to share her own story through her memoir, A House with Holes is Her and Her Husband's Personal Journey Transforming a Broken Down House Back to Its Glory in a town that is known for historical restoration. Her vulnerability and frankness are refreshing in a time when relationships are more temporary than committed. So just as a few kind of insights and little known facts, uh, she and Greg were both born into a conservative Mennonite family in the early 60s, but met outside of that community in their mid-20s on the panhandle of the Florida coast. And it was after they were married that they found out that their grandmothers 
knew each other's families and lived a few miles apart in an Amish community in Holmes County, Ohio in the 1940s. Wow. That? So her sister is an award-winning author, winner of the Christie Award, and encouraged Denise to write for decades, and now she's finally believing her. Um, she edited the book, and um, actually, she is one of my uh, former authors, uh, and uh, she, the book that I actually helped get published for her was the one that won the Christie Award, which was amazing. So, but it's so funny that... Um, Denise didn't know me, even though her sister and I were connected. So it's, I love full circles and dots that connect and divine appointments, which this has been from the get-go. Um, and now Denise and her husband are only the third owner of this Charleston cottage that celebrates 91 this year. Yes. And, uh, she has very curly hair, which you wouldn't know by looking at her. And she even struggles with panic disorder in the car on long drives and some measure of social phobia. So for all of you out there who like to know that people that do amazing things like write books and go on podcasts and talk about them have their own struggles and they're just as, you know, we, we all have our struggles that we are challenged with and that God has to meet us and help us. And so, you know, Denise, I'm glad that you included that in little known facts about you because we need to get better at sharing those realities of our lives so that, you know, we can really connect on a deeper level. Yes, we, we do. And, you know, it's, all of us have different things. In fact, they say 80% of us suffer from some type of anxiety disorder in the American culture. Isn't that staggering? Well, it's so, probably higher now with uh, the pandemic going on, I would guess. Yes, I'm seeing that in lines as we stand, aren't you, with mm -hmm. uh, concerns. And of course, the anxieties are up for those that already have anxiety. So Exactly. Um, and interesting. Um, and yes, to for me to drive, after I'm in a car for about an hour, I will tend to have a panic. And here I am writing books, and what am I going to be doing? Traveling. <laughs> I've had to say, God, you're just going to have to help me drive. You know? uh, doesn't he have a sense of humor? <laughs> he does. He does. Oh, gosh. So he, he's me in that. So. Amen. Okay, so before we jump into some actual questions that I want to ask you about your book, I would love to have our listening audience hear just your favorite Romans 828 story. We've all got lots of them in our lives, but I would just love for us all to hear just to get a better, a little bit better picture of who you are. And so share that with us. Well, I, at the age of seven, my mother divorced my dad. Here I'm born into an Amish Mennonite community in wow. Dover. And she divorced my father of origin and was excommunicated from the church back then. And she ended up in the next couple of years marrying a Southerner. And so we were from Dover and he, was, he would drive through and she was uh, running a restaurant because as you know, most Amish women do well at cooking. And she was mm -hmm. a cook mm -hmm. the restaurant and they met and they moved us to Spartanburg, South Carolina, Spartanburg County, actually the Northern part 
And I'll tell you, in 1977, there were no Northerners in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And their accents were so different. And it was just really uh, a culture shock for us. I never knew the United States could be so different, you know, from mm. one part to another. Right. Um, and that seems really hard for us as children. We didn't like it at first uh, for those first years. We were, I was in middle school. And uh, by that time, I was in middle school when we moved to South Carolina. And um, I have, have remained in South Carolina all these years. So nearly 40 years now since. Um, and what God did was, as I became a counselor, now, if you hear me, I don't have a strong Southern accent. You wouldn't know no. that I was born in the mountain area, you know, uh, grew up in that mountain area from the age of 12. Um, but I applied for a job and you mentioned in my bio, I was an MST therapist for at-risk youth in lower Lexington County, just outside of Columbia. And I was just sure that was the job God had for me, though it was intense and at times a little scary because I was out in the houses. Um, but what God did was um, the woman who was actually chosen only lasted a week in that position. And they came to me and I said, they asked me, Denise, do you think you can do it? And you know what I knew? I had grown up with these people. These were rural South Carolina, many of them born, uh, locals, and I knew that culture because wow. of my growing up, you know, in those middle school and, and high school years up in Inman. And, you know, I stayed in that a year. I had over 750 client hours in that. And it really gave me a foundation for what I do, even in private practice. That was in 2007, 2008 time. So, um, I've been in private practice since then, but you know, I felt like when God put me in that, um, he married, he married that together. Mm. He said, you know, Denise, it was hard, wasn't it? Coming in new. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had people come up to me and just ask me to talk. And it was like, I was from England almost, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in that, in that school setting. But later on that became a gift to me. Mm. I understood and I could relate. So Amen. I love that. So so let's let's kind of move into what what actually drew you into writing your memoir. And then so specifically I, the the memoir House with Holes. How how, how did that even how did that idea even come to you? So um House with Holes, um I was working with a writing coach independent of any idea that I would be published, but, um, and I remember them saying to me, who wouldn't want to hear about a Charleston renovation? Um, Charleston is kind of become a hot destination. Mm -hmm. They say 7 million people come here a year and to visit and to see the downtown and there's many good restaurants and the culture is really open to people from all over the world. And I began to think about that. We were on the west side, so we're not right in the most expensive area, but everything is moving this way, some of the things. And here we had this cottage we had just landed. And I mean, we, we were able to purchase it and it was really kind of a gift that we were given, um, but it was also very, very difficult. So I thought, wouldn't it be 
kind of amazing to marry this, to show our marriage struggle and we're empty nesters. That's a hard time. And that's a transition mm -hmm. and then to take on this and then to experience the Charleston culture and uh, requirements and also the history of this house. This is a Charleston cottage, what used to be known as a Freedman's cottage. And now they call them Charleston cottages. They're all over the downtown. They were built as rentals um, years and years ago, some of them from the late 1800s, hundreds, and ours is from 1929. Wow. Kind of toward the end of that. But, um, and then the Lord gave me a quote. It says, it said, marriages have holes. There are places we disconnect, the places that our struggle shows up, because we're most vulnerable in that relationship. Mm. And it's, it, it was those holes that I began to say, this house has holes. And they just keep coming, much like a marriage relationship. So that idea that this house that's filled with holes mm. kind of parallels what we as marriages go through, you know, when things show up that we don't expect. So. Right, right. I love that. So what caused you to choose that house and... And how does it compare with your marriage? So um, the house, um, we began to pray about getting a cottage in the downtown. By the way, then I didn't even know what a Charleston cottage was. Um, I knew basic styles because I had been a docent uh, for the uh, Preservation Society of Charleston. And, and what, all, what is that? What's a docent? A docent is a tour guide. Oh. Here. And okay. so I did a number of, uh, for a number of years, I worked for the Preservation Society for the candlelight tours in the fall. And then I got picked up by the Historical Foundation of Charleston and did them in the spring. And so they would open up about a dozen houses per tour. And I would be in one room of a number of those homes. And I would take the history and share the story of the house or room as about 500 people an evening would come through. And what that did for me was it gave me a love for what these houses and the history and the background of them and the preservation of them, how saving, you know, the style and understanding why they were built the way they were. Uh, we would see this in other areas like Louisiana, New Orleans, um, Orleans, Natchez, Mississippi. They have historical homes that they've preserved. Charleston has a very large area of this. Savannah would be another city. But I, I began to have an appreciation for that. And so in our prayers of purchasing, um, we ran across this cottage. And I go through the book about the choosing. There were three that we came down to and how we ended up picking this one. It has a piazza, which is kind of an Italian word for side port. Hmm. And it, it has wrought iron and a wonderful wrought iron gate and many of the downtown more expensive homes, the wrought iron is kind of key to the culture. So um, Philip Simmons, who, do, who was one of the most well-known uh, blacksmiths, he may have done our gate, an African-American man that passed away about five years ago. He um, had his hand in a number of the gates there and the, and the uh, fencing that goes around. And we have that. In this little house, we have a gate and a, a wonderful wrought iron fence that, that gives us a courtyard. 
And so that was part of what drew us to Congress Street. But I can tell you, you're going to see the back of the book shows some early pictures. Um, it was in bad shape. You had mm -hmm. to look beyond what was there to right. what it could be. And isn't that kind of like marriage? You know, mm -hmm. like. <laughs> so we had to look beyond what was being said, or you have to look beyond what is being said to know the heart. And that's kind of. So what I, I, I can't, I can't get this out of my head. So I got to ask you. Okay, um, sure. So the, the gates and the wrought iron on the house, what's the parallel in the marriage? What does that rep, kind of represent in our marriage where we wall ourselves off or. You know what? And it actually, it can be a positive because good boundaries mm. are, this is where I stop. So really what this does is our house goes to the street and this just says, this is where the, the public stops and where we begin. Mm. And we have it so that you can actually, you know, ring the doorbell at the end of the street, at the end of the piazza, there are doors on the street side that will bring you onto the porch. Isn't that interesting? So they, they go right to the door. And so it's where you stop and where we begin, right? If you're walking down. Right. And if you think about it, isn't marriage about good boundaries? Yeah. It's about a balance, isn't it? It's about a good amount of we, and yet we don't lose ourselves. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what is the noteworthy incident that did not make the book? Okay. So... Uh, we had this creepy bathroom when we first set up. <laughs> we had a dorm room, you know, which is the front room. And we laid new carpet and kind of sprayed it with paint to seal up the dirt and, and anything that was there. It was going to be torn out, but it gave us a kind of a clean backdrop to live in. And then we had to go to the restroom and shower in this old bathroom on the wing, what I call the creepy wing in the book. And it, it was really hard for me. It was like camping. It was literally like camping out. Um, we did a number of things in there to make it sanitary. Um, if, not, if you had OCD, you probably wouldn't have been doing this. Um, <laughs> but um, sanitize it as best we could. And my husband, very quickly, um, as he got the foundation ready, uh, put in a half bath, which was in our plans off the kitchen, um, toward the back of the kitchen area, and a shower that is still in our part of our laundry storage room. So we have a full shower, tiled shower in there. Um, and we did that so that we would very quickly have a half bath and a shower while we tore that off and renovated that. Mm. But a week after he finished the inside bathroom. So we had clean bathrooms. The entire ceiling of the creepy bathroom fell in. Whoa. It completely fell in. Yeah. The, the, we think it was the roof leak on the outside was so intense that it got to the point where that sheetrock then just fell. And I, I said to Greg, God was looking out for us because, you know, a week more, and we, and not that we would have been in there necessarily, but we could have been. Right. You know? And I just feel like God was just, he, there's many times when he's been looking out for us, but that was definitely one. And that didn't make the book. There's been a lot of things like that that didn't make the book, but 
I couldn't put everything in, right? Right, right. Pick <laughs> <I> and <can> choose. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So how did living in that specific neighborhood change you? And, and did it make you more empathetic for the plight of the homeless and needy? This was, and historically was, a um, poor neighborhood. Um, it was rentals for people that worked in the homes on the other side. Um, and uh, when we first moved in, and while there had been some upgrading of homes, some of the local homeowners, and they're still here, about half of them are still here, um, Charleston does a really good job of ent um, integrating Section 8 housing and regular housing. It's part of this fabric of this city. And so at the end of our street is a Section 8 housing area that people have lived there 30 and 35 years. Um, wow. And then also some of the homes that hadn't been bought or renovated were laying empty. We had some drug dealers on the street too um, that were dealing. Uh, what I thought was, I don't really know that world, but it, I could tell by the way they were set up and every day coming to the porch. And I think at first, you know, it really changed my thinking. I became friends with them. Um, they watched out for our house when we had water leaks um, and they had grown up in this neighborhood. And I think that before I might've judged that a little differently. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, that they're just people. And, um, and I, I was kind of sad for them that they were making their living that way. Right. Um, because I wanted them to have, you know, uh, livings where they wouldn't be in trouble for it. But um, we became friends. We became really advocates and trying to be people of acceptance here. I feel like God had really area for that. And over time, and you'll see this in the book, they began to more and more trust us. And they really love my husband. He's out. You know, we've had people come up to us and need food, you know, um, a grandmother that has kids, you know, and we would get them help, you know. So I feel like in a way it's been a mission project yeah. as well. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. So, so would you advise others to take on a project like that? Um, you know, I would, but with caution. Um, I think that you need to be a professional to do what we've done where you live in the house. And sometimes it's hard to find people that are doing it. And the fact, if, if some of the problems are really intense, then it could be um, just like the roof falling in. That could have mm -hmm. been potentially dangerous for us. But um, so I would do it with caution and with reason, not getting in over your head. Um, right. And then also consider that's the physical part, but also considering could my relationship take that kind of pressure and stress? Right. That's a good question to ask. Yes, it is. Eyes wide open. <laughs> <laughs> I had an interviewer uh, since my book came out say, you know what? I built a house with my husband and I'm never doing that again. <laughs> so, you yep. know, you've got to know your limitations, mm -hmm. don't you? Totally. So, Greg and I were called to it. So I think that's helpful. well, that makes a huge difference, difference because that's your, and plus, I mean, that was your mission field it is that was your mission. That field. is and was, yes, it is. So the book is kind of a, I mean, who knows which, which one he was really calling you to first, but I think just being Jesus with, you know, skin on to those yeah. people in that neighborhood first and then 
you know, then you have a book like that, you never know when they might actually end up reading it just because they know you and you're like, wow, you wrote a book? So you yes. never know how God will use that. Yeah. So, so how has publishing a book changed your life? Um, I think that it has opened me up to the realization that when you put something in print, it's going to be there a while. And it's going to reach people you will never know. Yeah. And as a counselor, I sit one-on-one. -on -one, and I sometimes am privileged to sit with a couple or a family. But to think that I could reach somebody, you know, my book's in UK and right. in Canada. Right. And I, had, I saw one on eight books where it was down in Australia. I was like, wow, <laughs> cool. Yeah. So these, this is a, this is a, a ministry with people that you're not going to ever necessarily meet. And so that's a blessing to me. It yeah. also is an awesome responsibility. Athena, too. It is. It is. So. And you did the hard work to make sure that you had a quality product that, you know, communicated truth and it did it well. And it's, you know, so you, you took that responsibility seriously. And I, I appreciate that about you. Yes, I, I, I really wanted this first book of mine to be uh, vulnerable, to help people realize we all are going through. Here, I'm a marriage counselor, and I'm sharing things about the hardship of my marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and nobody gets this perfect. And, you know, we, we have tools and we have things to help us conceptualize. But really, this is the Lord's work in our lives and uh, in the lives of our spouse and in creating a home that others can come in and enjoy and family that prospers and so mm. within the marriage, right? So yeah. Well, we are out of time. So real quick, if you could share just maybe one or two tips or tools to help our listeners just remember that God is always working all things together for good. It's just good to have that perspective. It is. I think of this coronavirus and I think of, you know, just what we're going through right now. Um, we grow when we struggle mm -hmm. if we're yielding it to God. Yeah. And my thought is, as we both all are in this, many of you, I'm sure, have been in your homes a lot. And, um, you know, there's other struggles that you might be having financial or needs. But just to encourage you that. The Lord is here with us, mm. that he picks those pieces up. And the things that you're going to learn in that struggle, that you can be a good steward mm. of those lessons yeah. and to others. And so um, having, you, that, having that perspective, I'm yeah. stewarding this. Yes. Wow. This. I like that. I like that. So if we have some ladies on uh, that are listening today that want to try and connect with you online, where's the best place to do that? Um, I have a Facebook author page that I'm always, you know, I'm on that pretty much every day. Um, so they can definitely join my author page and messenger there. Um, I also have a website, denisebroadwater.com. I recently um, had the name added ahousewithholes.com. Okay. And I have a page for the book there. So it can be purchased from Redemption Press there. 
And then also, um, this is the exciting thing that's happening right now. By joining my email list on my website, so if you go to denisebroadwater.com and in contact, put your email list, I am going to be um, revealing through a professional photo shoot the um, the house as it is now. It's finished Ooh. and it's decorated. And we had a professional come in and shoot the house. Many of them have read the book, haven't seen the final pictures because it actually wasn't done yet. Right. Out in October. Very and so cool. I am going to be emailing that out to my email list in the next few weeks. Ooh, coming right. up. All right. So ladies, you need to go to denisebroadwater.com and sign up for her email list so you can see what, so do you, do you have some pictures in what you're going to send out that kind of shows the before and the after? Um, this one is about the after, but I can put some in there that are before. The before cool. are kind of throughout the book. Right, so, right. So I did a picture shoot of some of the befores and you can see how bad it was. But um, the after, uh, I have a, several readers that are waiting on this mm. because um, I didn't have very many afters. I had a few of the end of the house, but it's really turned out amazing. We are very, very pleased with the way things Love it. Well, thank you so much for being with us today on the All Things Podcast. It has been a delight to have you on. Thank you, Athena. You bet. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.